Welcome to Federal Insights, understanding the versatility of crowdsourced cybersecurity, sponsored by HackerOne on Federal News Network. Welcome to the discussion. My guest today is Alex Rice, the co-founder and chief technology officer at HackerOne. Alex, welcome to the program. Uh, great to be here, Jason. Let me set just a little context for our discussion. The Defense Department launched the first hack of the Pentagon in spring of 2016. That's almost five years ago, believe it or not. The success of this crowdsourced approach to cybersecurity led DOD to establish its first vulnerability disclosure policy, which created a safe, secure, and legal avenue for private citizens worldwide to report vulnerabilities found on public-facing DOD websites and applications. It also served as a bridge between DOD and the security research community to work openly and in good faith together to identify and disclose vulnerabilities. Second, it led to the expansion of this idea of a good hacker approach to cybersecurity across the military services and into the federal civilian world. From bug bounty programs to vulnerability disclosure programs or VDPs, agencies are seeing the value of these approaches to securing networks and applications. So much so that the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, issued a binding operational directive in September requiring every civilian agency to publish a vulnerability disclosure policy as a public web page. The deadline for that, if I got this correct, if I counted my months correctly, Alex, was March. <laughs> it's unclear how many met that requirement, but whether or not they met the deadline or not, it doesn't really matter. The benefits of these approaches are clear. DOD by itself has held 14 public and 10 private bug bounty programs and paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars in response to private sector experts finding problems. So how can agencies take advantage of these crowdsourced cybersecurity programs? Well, that's where my guest comes in. Alex Rice is the co-founder and chief technology officer at HackerOne. Now, Alex, I gave a little bit of a preview of what we're talking about, but let's d dive down just the next level. When you, we talk about good hackers helping to secure applications and networks, what does that really mean? Oh, Jason, I think uh, Hollywood has really given hackers a bad rap and everyone's got that mental image of a uh, uh, someone in a, in a dark hoodie in their dank basement. And uh, it, what we really mean by hacker is we're, we're trying to pay homage to the MIT's original definition of the term. And they, they define it as anyone who enjoys the intellectual challenge of finding a creative way to bypass a limitation. When you apply that broad lens to it, there's, there's millions of folks out there that fit that description, many, many of us included. Uh, the vast majority of them have no criminal or immoral inclinations whatsoever. And that skill set can provide a lot of value to uh, uh, all aspects of technology and, and cybersecurity. And what, the, what these programs do is it tries to remove some of the stigma around hacking to paint it in a positive light and let organizations benefit from the knowledge rather than the criminal act. Right, we all see Enemy of the State, the Will Smith movie from the mid-90s and thinks that the satellites are everywhere and they're tracking every move. Let me just dig just a little bit deeper. So these are people who are researchers. These are folks like yourself, you, uh, HackerOne employees, good hackers. And they are people who have a certain set of skill sets, right, and expertise that can help agencies find these vulnerabilities that, that, may, that, that, they, don't, that they don't know already exist. That's exactly right. It's a diverse community of folks from various backgrounds that participate in finding security flaws in, in, in software in both incentivized and unincentivized manners. For example, the, uh, we ran a, a, one of the early bounty programs with the, the Air Force, Hack the Air Force, 
um, had about 130 participants in it. Um, the top participant from that program was a, a sophomore in, in high school at that, at that period of time. Um, perfectly capable of, of hacking the Air Force as, uh, as, as he demonstrated, um, but normally wouldn't be given that opportunity in a, in a traditional vetted environment. Like the vetting criteria for a traditional Air Force penetration test meant that without these types of programs, you're missing out on that creativity, that perspective, that, that diversity. Um, and it, uh, it is a strong complement to the other activities that go into securing that attack surface. I think that's a key piece there. It's a compliment. And we're going to get to that maybe a little bit later in the oh, discussion. Yeah, very much so. It's not just a be all end all. Let's talk about how the process works a little bit. And, and, and specifically, let's focus on the digital supply chain. There's a lot of discussion around supply chain security. We can mention those four letters, CMMC, that everyone is really worried about. But let's talk more broadly about, about how this approach can help uh, address potential vulnerabilities in the supply chain? Absolutely. So um, what are the side effects of the DOD in particular launching these programs is the scope of the Defense Department's vulnerability disclosure policy was anything that could impact the mission in their public-facing internet ass assets. And over the last five years, they've had north of 10,000 vulnerabilities identified through that. And upon a deep closer look, it turns out a uh, large percentage of them are from the DIB, the uh, defense industrial base, from suppliers and contractors of all sorts of, of cyber and IT services to the, to the Department of Defense. Uh, and so if you're, if you're asking uh, the public to assess your attack service, it's unheard of these days that it doesn't involve some element of the, of the supply chain. And particularly when you're asking hackers to do that, um, it often doesn't make any sense to say, well, we'd love you to, to hack us here, but please please don't look over here or, or please don't find any vulnerabilities in, in this particular one because it's a, it's a contractor and, and it's not ours, right? Like that sense just does not make sense. Your adversaries don't behave that way. And we try to structure these programs so that the, the good hackers don't behave that way as well. Um, just uh, a little over a month ago, the uh, Department of Defense expanded their vulnerability disclosure policy to cover the DIB as well. Um, so now they've explicitly set up a structure where anyone in the DIB can opt into including themselves in the DOD's overall vulnerability disclosure policy. Um, within the first week, there were over 50 participants and a few dozen vulnerabilities identified in the DOD's um, supply chain. And it, it goes to show that this, this approach works across uh, uh, the most diverse attack services out there. Walk me through a little bit about how this works, because if, and we'll pick on Lockheed Martin since they're big and easy to pick on, right? If they say, okay, we're going to tell you it's, it's this specific network we're going to put into the program, or how, how does it work? Yeah, in this case in particular, we're talking about vulnerability disclosure policies, which they don't provide any bounties, they don't provide any um, uh, monetary incentive to go hack. It's purely a see something, say something policy. It says to every uh, ethical, friendly hacker out there, if you find a security flaw in DOD's information systems, we want to know about it. Um, and that um, tends to have a very broad scope, right? It's not explicitly saying, 
um, hack these things. But one of the things that was out of scope for the history of that program was the contractors, right? If you, the DOD was not authorizing you to go test third-party networks. It was simply saying uh, where the, the DOD owned networks. And this expansion goes out to that. But because the DOD is not in a position to authorize testing against their uh, uh, Lockheed Martin's network, for example, uh, it's an opt-in program at this point. So members of the DIB can opt in to be included in that overall policy. And the ones that have have already seen results from it. Um, Lockheed Martin, I, I believe, operates their, their own vulnerability disclosure policy independently, um, which means that's, that's exactly what we're trying to get to is um, if you see a vulnerability in any of these networks, no matter who it belongs to, it's safe to say something. When we talk about the, the div then opting in, it's, it's saying to them, we will, if you're a good, good hacker, we'll allow you to, to within certain possibilities, certain parameters, look at our network to find potential vulnerabilities. Like, I'm just trying to get to the point of like, how yeah, does it work? I think I would, uh, I'd say it even a little broader than that. Um, if you're a member of the DIB, hackers have absolutely found vulnerabilities in your information systems. Um, whether they were just casually scanning the internet or somebody stumbled across it, somebody somewhere has found out a, found a vulnerability in, in your system. The question is, do you want to know about it? Do you have a channel for them to tell you about it? And today, for the vast majority of the, the, the DIB, those channels don't exist. If you or I find a vulnerability in one of those systems, um, by whatever means we find it by, there's no way to get it to someone who can actually do something about it. That's what this program aims to, to solve, is hackers find vulnerabilities in your attack surface every single day. If you don't give them a clear and safe channel to notify you, they won't notify you. Okay, that's actually really helpful because you know we think about these approaches like hack the fill in the blank, and you think, oh, that's I'm right. allowing them on my network, I'm allowing them to look for certain things. But you're, what you're saying is this: this in many ways is is just creates a communicate a line of communication that maybe wasn't there for before as a start, and then it can kind of grow from there. That's right. Now, probably if I'm conflating some topics here, because they do, they're really close to each other. The concept of a vulnerability disclosure policy, which is that see something, say something policy. And then these very deliberate bounty programs, which say, please, we, we want more of this. We want, we want you to hack the Air Force or hack the Army or, or hack this and we'll, we'll reward you for it specifically. In those type of engagements, um, there's very specific rules of engagement on what you can hack what you should look for and how you'll be rewarded, incentivized for that. All right. Well, thanks for clarifying that. I think that's it's really helpful for people who maybe ha aren't, have heard of these approaches, but maybe aren't as familiar with them. One of the things about these approaches, like the, the hack the or the bug bounty or the VDP type of, 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 of programs, is they become they can be used not just for a network or a public facing website, but they also can d help you with your security around cloud, DevSecOps, and other digital transformation efforts. Walk me through how they play a role in, in, with those digital transformation efforts. That's exactly right. So once you have your vulnerability disclosure policy set up, which is a, a, a good best practice, and uh, that, that's it's what uh, you referenced earlier with CISA's binding directive, you'll, you'll immediately see value of that. But it's in a, you don't have a lot of control over what hackers are looking at or, or why. And so you might ask yourself, 
what else can, can hackers do? Where else can they add, add value? And that's where the majority of the work that HackerOne does and, and where these structured bounty programs come into play. Um, in those situations where it's using the same hackers, but with a much more structured engagement and specific vetting criteria for them. Uh, so our customers will come to us with an example of, um, we'd like to get some of the best hackers out there to test this particular asset or uh, this particular uh, application. And those programs are set up so that they incentivize a pay for poor performance model that allows you to reward hackers based on what they actually find and what they actually succeed at, rather than filling up their time with uh, um, the, the usual uh, uh, fluffy reports that we're used to in those, in those types of uh, engagements. You're paid if you're actually able to, to have and demonstrate impact. And what that means is we end up recruiting a very diverse and very talented group of folks to perform in these types of engagements. You're able to get specialists that are specialized in one particular piece of it that might not be able to participate to run a, a classic assessment against it because they're 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 very specialized in a particular area. You get that diversity in these programs is instead of having a few guys in a traditional engagement model, you can have a very refined best of the best talent engage in a paper for performance model that just complements the existing structure that you've been doing, but always delivers something that those traditional approaches missed. One of the things that is, is obvious when you talk about the specialists is if you're talking about cloud, you can probably bring in people who really understand cloud security. If you bring in DevSecOps or you bring in a specific application, that's really the benefit you're talking about here versus, well, I'm a security person, I know security, but I may not be very good at one part of it. There, that's exactly right. But also it's rare that you can find a, a true external attack surface that is that cleanly divided. <laughs> like, okay, it's, it's just cloud or it's, it's just this network device or it's just this type of service. So we come at it from perspective of what is the actual external asset? What is, what is it that your adversaries would be hacking? What, what, is, what is the target? And then you bring together a group of people that can run a, a comprehensive, holistic, a simulated attack effectively against that actual thing. So if there's cloud components, we'll have cloud experts. If there's a social component to it, we'll have social engineering experts. If there's a, a large network component to it or a specific crypto components, you'll have those folks involved. Um, and trying to bring that comprehensive team together with a traditional assessment model is prohibitively expensive and, and impossible in, in many situations. But it's just by the nature of asking folks to hack stuff through the, through the eyes of a hacker, you, we end up structuring the programs to mimic what an actual adversary would be targeting. Alex, a lot more to dig out from that. Let's take a quick break. When we can come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to Federal Insights, understanding the versatility of crowdsourced cybersecurity, sponsored by HackerOne on Federal News Network. Don't fear hackers, hire them. That's what the DOD did. Meet HackerOne, the world's most trusted hacker-powered security platform. HackerOne gives organizations access to the largest community of hackers on the planet to find their vulnerabilities before adversaries can. 
armed with the most robust database of vulnerability trends and benchmarks, the hacker community mitigates cyber risk by searching, finding, and safely reporting real-world security weaknesses in your digital supply chain, networks, apps, devices, and more. Learn more at HackerOne.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Federal Insights, understanding the versatility of crowdsourced cybersecurity, sponsored by HackerOne on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Alex Rice, the co-founder and chief technology officer at HackerOne. Alex, before break, we're understanding what the different types of, if you will, crowdsourced cybersecurity there is. We talked about VDP, we talked about bug bounties. Let's talk a little bit about actually incorporating hackers into your security program. It seems easy. You made it sound like, oh, I just have to call you guys up and you guys come over and do it. It's, it's never that easy. So walk me through what should agencies keep in mind as they're trying to set up these types of programs? What are some of the challenges? What are some of the benefits? Walk me through it. Yeah, it's it's a great great question, Jason. Let's um, let me start with some of, some of the obvious, which is you should bring in this diverse group of hackers after you've done your other best practices, right? This isn't this isn't where you start with a cybersecurity program. Um, so if you're in the early stages of defining your cybersecurity program, uh, going deep with bounty programs is not the right starting point. You want to use this as a um, uh, last line of defense and validation that your other mechanisms are doing what they what they say they will and, and their other controls will. Um, so hackers come in to test the overall efficacy of your program and, and point out blind spots to you. From there, there's um, the vulnerability disclosure policies that we talked about before. I'll kind of put those aside for a second because I really do believe that's uh, just a, a good hygiene practice that everybody should have. And it's not explicitly incorporating hackers into your program at that point or asking them to, to participate, but it's ensuring that you're not missing out on any intelligence that a someone on the internet might be, be aware of. Um, so if you're at the stage where you're deliberately thinking about how do I augment my cybersecurity program with hackers and uh, rewarding them for it, there's, there's a few things to keep in mind in, in, as you go about it. Um, first things first, um, hackers are going to find things. Like there's, you, nobody runs these programs and doesn't learn something they didn't know beforehand. And so you wanna make sure you're in a position to be able to action those findings. Um, typically into a vulnerability management program, um, but uh, you want to think about what are all of the, the things that we're asking hackers to look for and what are we gonna do about it once they find it? Uh, and you should assume that they, that they will find it. Um, that means making very close allies with your vulnerability management and incident response practices before you, before you kick this off. Um, from there, there's two main types of programs that we, that we run and we, and we recommend. One we talked a about a little bit before the break around the, uh, um, the point in time assessment types. These are really meant to look and feel like a traditional security assessment. And if you've ever bought an external pen test before, it'll feel very similar to that. Um, it's kind of a point in time with a lot of control and vetting over what exactly occurs during those assessments. And you should think about complementing your pen testing program with that type of program. Um, it's not meant as a replacement for your pen testing program. It's meant to add more diversity, more perspective in a very uh, cost-effective way. Um, for the more mature organizations out there, the ones that um, um, are really hungry for security feedback or the stakes are very high, the most powerful aspect of these types of programs is the ability to evolve them into a continuous security testing program. Um, these are the type of bounty programs that you see 
folks like Google and Facebook pioneering, um, Microsoft and, and Amazon are, are huge proponents of them as, as well at, at, at this point. I mean, you're starting to see more um, uh, uh, traditional enterprises embrace them as well. So uh, um, folks like Goldman Sachs and General Motors and the like like that. And these are the same concept as the programs we were talking about before, but they run continuously throughout the year. They're meant to find new and find and explore new attack surface fast and continually surface security feedback into your security programs. From your experience, are agencies more willing to do the point in time than the continuous one? Are you seeing a little bit of both? Um, across the board, folks are more familiar with doing the point in time security assessment. Everyone's kind of familiar with the annual or quarterly or once a release pen test. Um, and that, that's natural, but it's also insufficient. If, uh, if the annual pen test was enough, we, none of us would be here. We wouldn't have, the, we wouldn't have these jobs anymore. Um, and so hopefully that's not a surprise to anyone. And it's not a knock on those services. They provide a lot of value. They're just incompatible with the modern attack surface, how modern software is built. Um, anyone who's moving to a cloud environment or a continuous release environment, you've got to up your testing cadence to a level that's not uh, fixed on a, on a calendar. And the, these programs are a very seamless way to do that. We hear agencies and CISA specifically talk a lot about continuous monitoring. The CDM program, as an example, is something that a lot of agencies spend a lot of time and money on. It seems like that's the same idea here. You just can't you know, look at it once because in an hour, in 10 minutes, in, in 12 seconds, things could change. And that's why this continuous testing, this continuous monitoring is so important. Is, is it easier now for agencies to get their head around it because they have that experience with programs like CDM? I, th I think so. I think so. But there's also a little bit of a um, one is there's there's elements of our attack service that are relatively fixed and stable and, and finite. Um, where you might not need continuous security testing. But anywhere where you're applying continuous software development, you should have a strategy for how you continuously test and keep up with the pace of, of that. Um, and most of us have something in our attack surface that fits that description. And it's probably growing faster than, than we're aware of and what we, what we expect. Um, and so I kind of put two, two living on that, the, the question there, Jason, is it's, yes, it's, it is similar to the continuous monitoring that we do in the past, um, but it's really specifically targeted at places where things are continually changing. And I think that's the key piece here, right? Because if you have, you know, let's pick on disaster recovery, that probably doesn't change very often unless you have a disaster. That's supposed to be a very... <laughs> A static well, type 2020, of, right? Exactly. That's just 2020. Exactly. But I imagine when you talk about DevSecOps as an example, which is continually changing, that's where having this type of tool set becomes important. Uh, so does automation orchestration, you hear a lot of those words get thrown in there. Is that part of this or, or is that that's kind of more of the separate uh, swim lane for a lot of the security efforts? It's a feedback loop into it, absolutely. And that's how I, I would encourage everyone to think about these programs is hackers are producing feedback into those into those security programs. And you, you need to make sure you can do something with that feedback. But this is a bit of a, a ancillary uh, output from these programs. But a lot of the, one of the things people struggle with in trying to 
apply that level of automation around it is you don't get to test it as often as you would like. You know, like, does my incident response process work? Does the escalation processes work? How quickly are we able to remediate things? What's our overall speed in responding to, to an incident? We don't test that at a regular cadence. It tends, if you're doing quarterly pen tests, for example, you tend to only test those processes once a quarter or when an incident occurs. Um, and in, in reality, you need to be exercising that muscle on a much more frequent cadence. And the continuous programs from, uh, from, from hackers provide the input mechanism to not just surface a finding in the first place, but to ensure your end-to-end -end remediation process is a well-tuned machine. Alex, I want to go back to something you said just a little while ago, that these, this type of approach is really good for things that change often. But how, how, so, okay, that makes sense for software, but what about hardware? What about mobile devices? What about, what about the network? I mean, yeah. where, there's all these technology assets that are now part of the attack surface. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. My, my, my comment on the things that change often was specifically for the continuous programs, right? If you are in a place where you're shifting something that's a little bit more fixed, that's still a great fit for a point in time assessment on it. Um, what I would um, uh, uh, advise people to do in an environment like that is to make sure you're not just testing the, the fixed point in time thing, but you're testing it continuously in the context of its environment. So you can do all of the uh, testing in the world on an individual SCADA or industrial control system device, for device, for example, um, which only which only gives you a, a part of the puzzle until you really assess what's what environment is it deployed into, how has that environment changed, and even though the individual device isn't changing on a, on a regular basis, ho hopefully, um, its environment is changing a lot more frequently than than most of us realize. I want to go down one last path because we're just about out of time. But before I let you go, there's there's the, this idea that this type of approach, crowdsourced cybersecurity, VDP, bug bounty, is is not the end all be all. You mentioned earlier that you got to do all the other things right. But as as you're at as agencies begin to want to start to add these these approaches, what are things they should keep in mind? How do they find the right balance between you know normal quote unquote normal cybersecurity, right? Uh, Any virus. Uh, firewalls and the like, and then on top of that, adding these, these pen testing and, and other types of, of uh, good hacker approaches. Oh, it's such a great topic. Feedback is the most valuable thing we have in cybersecurity. And the problem with it traditionally is it's too slow, too infrequent. You have to wait for an incident in order to learn what's working, what's not working about your, about your program. The benefit of hackers is fast feedback all the time. And the strongest cyber programs out there thrive on quickly incorporating feedback and responding to it. And I think that's the key, responding to it. As you mentioned earlier, incident response, as you mentioned, you've got to know that there's problems because there are problems and right. you need to do something about it. So. That's exactly right. Great, great advice. And unfortunately, we're out of time for today. So this was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. So let me thank my guest. Alex Rice is the co-founder and chief technology officer at HackerOne. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Jason. Really enjoyed it. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Federal Insights, understanding the versatility of crowdsourced cybersecurity, sponsored by HackerOne on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search HackerOne. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights, understanding the versatility of crowdsourced cybersecurity, sponsored by HackerOne on Federal News Network. Don't fear hackers, hire them. That's what the DOD did. 
Meet HackerOne, the world's most trusted hacker-powered security platform. HackerOne gives organizations access to the largest community of hackers on the planet to find their vulnerabilities before adversaries can. Armed with the most robust database of vulnerability trends and benchmarks, the hacker community mitigates cyber risk by searching, finding, and safely reporting real-world security weaknesses in your digital supply chain, networks, apps, devices, and more. Learn more at HackerOne.com.